Welcome to Fargo Talks Fargo, an unofficial podcast on the FX television series. Fargo Talks Fargo is hosted by me, Bill, and my buddy Sharpie. Zip zing. Boop boop. This season of Fargo Talks Fargo is sponsored by Fargo Brewing and their Wood Chipper IPA. Check them out at FargoBrewing.com. Also, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Tune in later to find out more details. Until then, visit audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo. So this week, Sharpie, we've uh, we've had some discussions. You're here in person. We've had it's it's our own personal crises. I had some family emergencies. We've had fun. We've made some talks. We're actually sitting face to face across from each other. Face I just, to face. It's a to whole. Face. It's a whole fucking thing. To face. And we're back on schedule right before the holiday. Kind of. I mean, we're yeah. on. I mean, it is ten o'clock at night. <laughs> we have. I think it's fair to tell people we have uh, a kind of shitty recording schedule. And when I say shitty, I don't mean about getting it out. I don't know if people realize how late at night we do this because we both have day jobs and really busy schedules. Yeah, and jobs we, and such. I mean, but we have jobs. We're lucky we don't have kids, though. That would be a that whole would, other layer. That helps. But I, I would also say that we, we don't get things out sometimes because we record really crazy late at night do all sorts of crazy junk to make sure that we can fit it into our schedule so that we don't screw some stuff up. But hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey now. Hey now. Hey. Season two, episode Hello. seven. Here and we the, go. And the title is... Did you do this? No. You did it. All right. We'll get to that in a little bit. Erstwhile in Fargo. Yes. So I think I think this week we were, you know... We like changing things up. We like doing what we feel is fun. We hope you guys are enjoying what we do. Um, this week, we're not going to completely stick to Sharpie's uh, thing he's been running for the last three weeks. We're sticking to an episode of Talk About What Feels Good. Talk About What Feels Good. We'll just kind of play this one by ear. Is um, that safe to say? When the show kicks off with another one of those erstwhile, in, in other words, uh, one of those previously on dot, 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 you know, <laughs> when it, wait, it starts off with those when shows start off with those you know it's foreshadowing who's coming back into play oh it's gotta be so we do a little it's flashback a, to the the meeting at the Gerhardt compound with the uh, Gerhardt I don't know partners affiliates the three dudes that are sitting on the couch eating pie talking yeah. to Floyd we got we got Vesty guy we've got uh, tan short sleeve guy and then we've got Slender Gent. Slender Gent. That's yeah. what I'm going to call him. That's what that's I'm, his I'm name. working. I'm working left to right here, Sharpie. Yeah, that's his name. Vesti. That's it. <laughs> this is not on IMDb. There's no Vesti guy, tan short sleeve shirt guy, and and Slender Gent. Slender I, Gent was also who I would also call Quiet Guy from a previous episode. But either way, he was. They, these were the guys that that brought up the whole. You know, we stand with you. These mooks aren't going to get away with this kind of shit, guys. And yeah. uh, what we find out after what we talked about in the hot dish, right, is that these are the guys we watch be somewhat systematically offed via toilets and choking. Yep. Oh, shit. Yeah, got, we've never got brought got back. Swirly. We haven't brought back from last season, have we, until you said that? Who dead? Yeah, that's right. Damn. Yeah, well, they got, got a, a euthanasia swirly. A youth of swirly. Yeah, and a terrible toilet. That thing has definitely not been introduced to the the modern age of toilet cleaning systems where you can put a gel thing Are, in there. Is any toilet good to be uh, drowned in? <laughs> well, you know what? You do what you can. But definitely for these guys, it's a shitty end. 
Yeah, so we see them in the erstwhile God, thing. People little, we make these jokes. Little montage, uh, and so you immediately know they're coming back, and it's kind yes. of obvious that they're coming back for a reason, and they're going to be dead because there's no really character development that has taken place. Nobody's vested in into these guys. Nobody really cares about them. They haven't been built up in any way, so to see them die will be uh, for, you know, a lack of a better word, like kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, and as dark as that sounds, <laughs> and, and we we in a Cohen, I, in, a, in a Cohen universe, yeah, you know, and it makes sense. And in this opening scene with the, I had mentioned managing up, which I thought was interesting because I think we're we're talking about a big thing out of Kansas City and management management. And we little we'll talk a little bit more about this with Mike Milligan later, um, but there's problems with management management's decisions of who's in charge and etc. But um, I had uh, tweeted earlier in the day to, to today or yesterday. I don't know what day it is. Sorry, folks. Um, that the background was nice because there are things in the background that are actually Fargo. Not so much in this shot, but in the shots outside of the cop shop. And I'm going to close my email now because getting emails is stupid. Um, you're talking about the the window washing scene. Yes, I am talking about the window washing scene. While I also talk about the noise that I may or may not edit out about my email. Um, but the window washing scene has some stuff that is moderately Fargo, but not really. Yeah, but that isn't necessarily Fargo. That's most likely Kansas City. Oh, let's cut this whole part. <laughs> and I <laughs> well, will do I mean, that unless. I mean, no, don't cut it. Because it could be Fargo. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, what is, what is the likelihood that Bear just traveled 10 hours to go to Kansas City and then came back? Ooh, maybe we just uncovered a time fold thing that we had last season with Duluth, Bemidji, and Fargo where shit sure happened a lot. Because um, unfortunately, I can tell you, getting from Fargo to Kansas City takes a long time. I know that because my uncle lived in Kansas City and the last time I drove down there was a trip. It's about nine or ten hours. Yeah. Which is about the same distance to Chicago. It's not It's not something you just like, hey, I'm going to stop off and murder you. Peace out. Be right back. It's 602 miles, to be yeah. exact. So I don't which know. is uh, shorter than it is, quite a bit shorter than it is to Denver. Either way. And that's a pretty easy trip. Gun down dudes. We both what like, a great we scene. both we both like the scene though. Great, uh, great use of squibs in that scene because they are great everywhere. Great use of squibs. Um, I thought a great use of a cut of uh, Milligan uh, digging into the sugar, people digging into the ground. Uh, I I also think that a little bit of some of Mike Milligan's things is he's a super smart guy, but he likes the sweet things in life. Does that make sense? <laughs> Um, he's he's like he's, Simone. Mm. Yes, he's 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 a bit of a he's 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 a cold-hearted motherfucker. He likes that white sugar, but he also he has some caring opportunities, things that he cares about. But but uh, yeah, you definitely see some guys get choked out in the slender gent gets choked out. Three minutes. Vesty Vesty man gets the swirly. <laughs> Vesty man gets the swirly, and we also find out from what I think I talked about early in like episode one or two. Which what was the episode? Episode two was that Hansi uh, choking the rabbit, where where I'd said this is this is an establishing shot a about Hansi and b about the fact that the Gerhards have been here for a long time because people like that bury their own people on their property, and we find out that that's true with 
um, Otto and Rise, not body. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it is interesting that they dug two holes despite the fact that they only have one of those bodies. So far. Are they right? But well, maybe when the, when you got one hired hand digging a hole, let's just have you dig two in case we find Rye. I guess, or phrase. maybe maybe it was a warm day, so they figured we better dig this grave now while the ground is soft. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, haven't we ascertained it's March? The ground is thawing. Oh, okay. So it's either way, I think they're just. Shit. I think they're. <laughs> I think they're in the trucking industry. They understand efficiency. So yeah, we have a lot of conversation. Yeah, they rented a backhoe yeah, yeah. and they were like, "Let's just dig two while we got it." So we have a decent amount of conversation between um, some some of the Gerhards. Simone makes some things known. She makes a nice Jaws reference. Um, yeah, continuing with her pop culture references. That that she's, you know, m- m- maybe I haven't mentioned this. Maybe I haven't before. That she's a little bit of, she's a little Peggy Blomquist. That she lives through her pop culture a, a little bit. Maybe. Yeah, I maybe. think so. People you have know. been saying that her character development has been pretty weak up to this point but i don't know if i agree maybe it's just not as interesting as some of the other characters but i i also disagree with that i mean i i think her pop culture references her playing of the both sides and it not working out because of her naivety and her um you know well her age i think all that's kind of interesting i don't think it's weak character development i agree with you i totally agree with you that uh, and I think I maybe read some of the same things you said that, yeah, there are some thinly, you could, or you could say thinly veiled things about her character. But I think what I like about that it's thin is that, guess what? She's a young girl. Yeah. She's I like don't, I don't expect everybody <laughs> to be as deep as the, the Mike Milligan. Uh, no, as Noreen, who is a, you oh. know, an emancipated teen living above a meat shop in Laverne, Minnesota. On so, her own. On, yes, so I just think she's a a girl caught up in a crime family doing what she does, and and I don't understand. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I'm not going to say I don't understand something. I just mean that I I think you and I agree on this point. So all along this montage that we've been describing, we've had we've been listening to uh, <laughs> Jethro Tull's locomotive barrette. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least that was the note I had. I'd have to open my notes. From, I don't have my notes open from last night, so sorry. Or two nights ago. But yes, it's Which Jeth- Jethro Tull, Locomotive Breath. Oh, we should also note that on t- on Rise Tombstone in German... It says what? It says, taken too early. In German is what? Oh, you didn't write that part down when I pointed it? <laughs> no. <laughs> so here's the deal. This is also yeah, the I first act- time Sharpie I just I do don't want. I just don't want to pronounce it. Zufrogenomen? Either way, taken too soon, which, yeah, that's argumentative as well. No dates or anything because they they actually don't know. Like Otto's Otto's gravestone had his date of birth and his date of death, and Rise had no dates, just taken too soon. Yeah. So they take away Mama Gerhard Floyd, and we find out that she's a a pipe smoker. And that Hank and other local law guy decide to take a run at her because they think they know best. But I'm just going to skip yeah, quickly sure. ahead that she's gaming them. Period. Point blank. Flat out. Why? Because she's a smart gal. She's 
got some gears turning. She's she's got some gears turning. She's got some gears turning. Uh, All the I, way down to uh, yeah, she's talking about. This is kind of way ahead a little bit. That's okay. Go ahead. I love how she's playing them. I mean, this is cl- and they're just eating it up because they're just kind of happy-go-lucky, like wholesome dudes. I don't think it's that. I think it's that they think they know what's what. Sure. They know what's right, and they're like, we've seen war. We know what's going on. We're going to talk to this lady, and we'll be able to turn her into a snitch on a dime. It's going to be easy. Yeah, I guess you're right. and, and, And I think this is two old guys not understanding that a woman can do what she's about to do to them. Sure. Sorry. That yeah, just, you're just, you're totally right. Punched you in the face with that. Yeah, well, I? I'm making shit up as I go. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> well, I guess I would say, did I make sense there? I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah, so makes this sense. is like this is interesting for us that that sitting across from each other is a whole nother uh, thing. But I, I have to tell you that I talked to Sharpie Keeps about this already. My leg, mm, God, except under this desk, I don't know how I can reach that. But I also, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy who likes dealing in interesting small things in film. Mm-hmm. And I had already talked to Sharpie briefly about this scene. If you wanted to go back, it's somewhere around when she says, I'm going to smoke. And I have to bring it up just because I love these. These are the things I noticed that I don't think anyone plans. I just think they happen because there's great oh, actors yeah, this involved. Is great. And um, together as a team, Hank and uh, the other guy in the interrogation room pull out a... Um, one of them opens the drawer, one of them takes it out, one of them sets down the thing, and then they kind of pseudo both go to close the drawer. But what I love is that before she even does anything, um, I don't know if it's intentional, I just love the fact that it's included, is that he reaches and he doesn't like Ted Danson, the character, Ted Danson, the actor, didn't like where the the ashtray was placed so he reaches and he literally slides it only like a like a freaking inch yeah if that what i love about that is is that to me i look at those kinds of things and say that's a character because so far he has been very assertive in what he thinks he knows and what things should be okay yeah we put the ashtray on the table but it should be it's here but i think it should be here and he just lightly touches it he doesn't say this is in the wrong place he just reaches out with a finger and just Slides it just a little. I love that. I love the natural feeling of that within a character. And those are the kinds of things that I dorkily notice. And I think when I pointed it out, you were like, yeah. yeah well, I'm more curious as to if that was a choice by Ted Danson. I think it's a great little move and a, a move that most people I, are going to overlook. But I want to know if it was Ted Danson's call or if that was a director's call. I don't know if we'll ever be able to know, but I feel like it's a Ted. Somebody was in that room. Somebody knows, because I've been I've been around dudes who are directing stuff, and they and they say little things like that. Like, once you, I want you to touch that, touch that, just touch that a little bit, pull it back, because you're kind of asserting that no, you you decide where this goes, and then and that's a good director. Bad directors don't do that. Oh, I agree. I agree. So they're just they they put the camera up on sticks. And you're like, okay. And then they have right, to read the cut, line. Yeah. Print, okay, one more time. Done one more time with feeling. Um, I will say this that I just noticed this Sharpie is that we talked about it earlier. Um, some scenes in the elevator later with the Undertaker. This is one more scene we actually didn't notice and talk about in our second watch of a mirror mm-hmm. in in the scenes. There's a lot of scenes that have a reflection in them. 
we get to watch a scene from two sides without ever seeing a camera. Yeah. Which is glorious. To it's me. been it's super like, fun. It's, yeah. It's beautifully shot and wonderful on top of all the nerdery I already love between the color and the props and all that stuff. So anyway, I, I, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let us digress from there. Where would you but like to take But previous to um, this interrogation scene with First Floyd. While. Um, no, we're past it. Erstwhile. <laughs> no, I mean, you can use it too. You can be like, oh, yeah, I'll use it too now. Erstwhile. Erstwhile. Fargo, <laughs> Fargo talks Fargo. The interrogation scene. Is that how you use that? I don't know. I, we're terrible. Uh, we're stupid. We do see that. We do see Hank admit that he should have checked on Peggy. So we yes, do know right. that yeah, he. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. He, he made a flub. And, uh, he realizes his brain, you know, wasn't all there, and he should have went back and checked on Peggy after he had gotten knocked unconscious, right. and he just kind of split the scene. Yeah, and we do have people write in. Turns out some of you are listening, and you interact with us, and and I actually would encourage more of you to do so because we actually really, like we've 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 brought up Ruben before. Um, I know there, there's a gentleman named Daryl who's not listening now because he's listening to season one has just emailed us. So, hey, Daryl, if you're joining us for season two, what's up, dude? <laughs> um, you won't hear this for like a year um, <laughs> or whenever you get around to season two. But uh, we, we got a great email from Gretchen, whose dad is from northern Minnesota. Shout out, Gretchen. Whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. But um, she, she had just said, and I'm just going to go verbatim here, that she says, uh, on Hank not checking on Peggy after getting called from the station... Even if he had concerns about Peggy's life, there's something else in play that wasn't said out loud, and it's Molly. And I, I wonder, because, and so I'm going to just, I'm sorry, I'm moderately paraphrasing Gretchen here, who is smarter than we are. Um, he knows that if Lou gets killed, his granddaughter is likely to be an orphan due to Betsy's cancer. And he jokes about not hearing the end of it at dinner in a previous episode. That's me, not Gretchen. Um, and his grand, and, and but... But without him, yeah, it, there's there's a lot of subtext and stuff going on. And that um, she also mentions Peggy's comments about decisions not being made in a vacuum. Anyway, excellent point by Gretchen. Thank you so much for emailing us. We really appreciate that. And I, I think she might be right that we were making a big to-do about nothing. Like, oh, he didn't check on her. Well, at least we find out later in this episode, he acknowledges like, ugh, I didn't even do it. And at the same time, you get clubbed over the head. You're worried people are coming for you or your people, and you disappear to go take care of your own. So, in retrospect, I also would say that yeah, much to do about nothing, which I think I said last week. I think right? You did. Yeah. We don't know. It's easy to make a big hubbub <laughs> about stuff when you're like dissecting this deep, but but either way, thank you, Gretchen, for emailing. We do appreciate your commentary, and thank you for listening. So she did have a pretty interesting thing about the first episode. And I don't oh, can know. I? Can I? Do you want me to bring that up now? I think we might as well. Since I think we're we should because it's email and something we didn't catch. We did not catch, and I I haven't seen um many other people talk about this nowhere. So I'm 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 Sharpie's sitting across from me. This is me whoop, whoop, tipping my hat while I while I drink to Gretchen. The judge is named Judge, and her last name is M U N D T Munt. Which is a real name in this area because I know a few months in. We're back at we're back at episode one. The slain judge that Rye killed murders in the diner, but her name is Judge Munt. Judgment. Her name's what? Judge Judgment. Judge Munt. Judge Judge Munt. Judge Munt. Judgment. Judgment. Judgment Day. So either way, I think that's pretty awesome. It's cheesy and awesome, but. 
totally cool that she caught it. Because it kind of begins the snowball of right. the Gerhard judgment. Day. So, to, to quote smart listeners, she says, quote, I keep thinking Rye killing her somehow triggered judgment day for all of there our characters. Go. Boom. Boom. Gretchen, gold star for you. Yes. Let's hire her. You kick ass. Uh, next we season, pay her season three of Fargo Talks we, Fargo we featuring received. Gretchen and Ruben, <laughs> not Bill and Sharpie. <laughs> there will be less giggling, drinking, <laughs> and ass slappery. So let's get back. So now we're going back to the Pearl Hotel, right? The Earl Hotel? The, the Earl. The, the Pearl Earl. <laughs> yeah, we're back to the Pearl Hotel, which I still haven't done the due diligence of trying to count how many floors there are in the building. Because I noticed in the elevator there were nine buttons, maybe if you include the basement. But we talked a little jokingly about how high a building can be. Big Are deal. you surprised that she, that Simone goes back to the Pearl Hotel to meet up with Mike Milligan after what obviously just happened? Nope. He shot up her house. Is Not she going for, is she going to just like berate him? Does she think she's going to like do something? I think she doesn't know what she's doing. I think she's grasping at straws completely. Mm-hmm. She's um she's in a big sea. She's drowning and she doesn't know who or what is her life preserver. And she's going with the best foreseeable option. Like deep down if she right now she's like, two people are dead here. But because I don't think they trust her enough, she doesn't know that a bunch of people just got axed via the window washing. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, crazy. We don't know the time frame of that. Now I'm thinking about that. Yeah, so there's don't. Bear talking at the funeral mm-hmm. with her, but he had already gone and done something. So there's obviously some time shift in there that we don't address. And I don't know if it's completely well, important. Well, the aliens probably picked up Bear and brought him over to Kansas City. Yes, with a Mylar balloon that reflects light. Yeah. And then JB, JJ Abrams stops by, mm-hmm. and there's a smoke monster. Right? Oh. Either that, or they went in L. Ron Hubbard's spaceship. Well, yes, he's, he's like seventh, like seventh level, yeah, or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going clear. Um, no, I don't. I don't know. I think. I think really honestly that as much as you you talked about people saying her character is thin a little bit, and I mean this this has nothing to do with uh or the the gal Rich who's playing it. No. Um, it's it's more of a. I think her character doesn't know. I I like the idea that there's a character that's not completely fully developed. When I say developed, I mean like personally, mm-hmm. like the person, the character written is not fully developed. Why? Because she's young. You you have to have these character like characteristically like flawed people who fit into stereotypes. Why? Because people of that age in this era, there are a bunch of them that are just dumb as shit. A great thing as we enter into this little scene is we are listening to What Condition My Condition Is In. Yep. Which is awesome. Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski reference. And I also, I, I don't know if we hit it anywhere, but there was the Big Toe reference. Yes. Oh, yeah. The Big Toe reference. Um, or a toe reference. By- that goes... Yeah, the toe reference uh, that goes back to the interrogation scene when the interrogation scene and the Hank Larson just doesn't believe that Ed Blomquist yeah. could possibly be working from Kansas City, and if he was, he would cut off his toe. 
Because you want a you want a pinky toe, I'll get you a pinky because toe. Because Floyd's making Ed Blumquist out to be the butcher of Laverne, this professional hitman. I do want to know this. When is she going to figure that out? Does she ever figure that out in the next? The, yeah, the funny, the, three episodes, the great right? thing is that sh- that's what she honestly thinks. Because Dodd, <laughs> because Dodd, right? <laughs> like she has been leading you down the primrose path, Ferris Bueller, to this moment, and I wonder when she will find out. That she's been completely... Do you think she's going to be blindsided by that? Or do you think she's playing that up for the popo? Hmm. I don't know. All right. I'm going to use this as a great time to take a sponsor break. Okay. So, moments ago, you heard... Just then. You heard (laughs) me open this can of delicious, delicious Fargo Brewing Company beer. (laughs) It's a wood chipper IPA. It is delicious. It has a velvety body. It is made with luscious, luscious hops with care and pride from the local Two Fargo, North Dakota. Two pounds of hops per barrel. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Two pounds of hops per barrel. I don't care how many pounds there are as long as they feel like an incredible means. velvety <laughs> um, hug that I can't get from any other, you know, locally brewed wood chipper IPA. It's like you're wrapped in a grapefruit peel. Oh, it's glorious. I think I like it, and by I think, I mean, yes, yes, I actually do. I like it a lot, and I want you to like it. So if you want to learn more about Fargo Brewing, I need you to go to FargoBrewing.com and check it out. If you're in the Midwest, and they distribute over the, the, the three states in the area here, Minnesota, South Dakota, and, and North Dakota, you need to go find out where they're at. And if you want to help us out, you need to go to any of those local liquor stores, any of those little lickle, lickle, flickle. You guys got Lickle stores around here? Go out, find it, and buy it. If it's not there, ask for it. And when they say, who told you? Say Dodd Gerhardt. <laughs> and they will pee their pants and immediately order Fargo Brewing beer. Why? Because Dodd's a bad motherfucker. Give Thank you to FargoBrewing.com <laughs> for sponsoring this season of Fargo Talks Fargo. Otherwise, no, no joke. Just go to the site, check it out, and um, if you want, Get in touch with them. Send them an email. Tell them, actually, do that. Find the contact thing. Tell them you love the show and that you think it's fun listening to us and you're, ha- they're, you're happy they sponsor us. And let's find another way that we can hook you up. You know, they can sell you some t shirts or some far- fun Fargo stuff. So, yeah, hit them up. Maybe they'll yeah. just send you something. Yeah, you never know. They got stickers, they got t shirts, they, they got, got all shit. sorts of great stuff. So, thank you so much to Fargo Brewing Company at fargobrewing.com and their wood chipper IPA. And while Bill's putting his pants back on, we will continue this scene with Mike Milligan and Simone. Uh, Simone being withheld by the kitchen brother and kind of erratically, like, you know, she already, got, she already got slapped by grandma. What could she's, get worse? Yeah, she's getting slapped around by everybody. Uh, Mike Milligan goes into some, we get another Camus reference when he quotes Camus Ooh. saying, Freedom, that terrible word inscribed on the chariot of the storm. So another Camus reference, not the myth of Sis- Sisyphus. God, nope. I, can ever, I can't ever say that right the first time. Then Lou and Ben Schmidt bust into the hotel room to save Simone from getting a smackdown, although they didn't really know that. They were just kind of coming down on KC just to see what the F is up. <laughs> I love it when you sing songs. <laughs> what the F is up. It's a, uh, yeah. Little little people know Sharpie's a big Bone Thugs and Harmony fan. <laughs> That's nothing to do with Fargo at all in any way, shape, or form. And Lou goes into this uh, 
I love the you ignore. This. There's no sequitur for that. I love that you go for it. Go for it. Go he for goes it. Goes into this shoe metaphor. Tell us. Tell where us. Lou's talking about how he's got two pairs of shoes. Yes. He's got one for winter and one for summer. And this is interesting because it kind of goes along with Lou's black and white um, personality. Like things are either right or wrong. You're, You're with, with us. Or, Ooh. Oh. Yeah, we're on the same page there, aren't we? It's almost like we're. Finishing each other's sentence. Pancakes. God damn it. <laughs> I thought you were the breakfast king of Loyola. I was going to say pancakes. Jesus Christ. Oh, that did not work out. We don't disagree that his worldview is very somewhat properly correct at times. And in, in our opinion of like um, morality, right? You and I don't look at him and see like, oh, Jesus, man, Lou, you're just a dreamer. We're like, yeah, but. I, I think very much so that that he's he's looking at things in a very he has a very black and white stance. He knows the difference between good and bad. He knows the difference between good and evil, which is another way to say good and bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill, you do. He knows. You know. You be, no, I'm just trying. You know, to, I'm just good I'm just and like, not good. But yeah, he he makes the shoe thing is is really is really that way. I mean, did, or did were you going to talk about like? That I thought it was about, you don't need so much. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I need this and I need that. And if because you because it goes if, into this thing about conquest and like yes. you don't need. Do you do you really have to have it all? Can't you just like be happy with Kansas City? Can't you just go home? <laughs> When's enough enough? And right. I I wonder how much of this do you think in that like how much of that is this, um. This expansion of I'm banging my hand on the table. Sorry. This expansion on um, corporate America into small towns and the loss of these things. Like, what is enough that you need to do that 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 is like cool for you? You know. And I I just I don't know I don't know what that always is. And I think that he knows that, and he's he he sees it coming, and he's not sure, but. But yeah, I mean, like, what do you think? Well, um, yeah, I think you, I think you pretty much nailed it on the head. And Mike Milligan's rebuttal is this interesting story about these wheelbarrows that are not really about the wheelbarrows, but about. Well, let's listen to this clip. It's about a guy who, a, bo- a boss who thinks an employee is stealing from him, and he can't figure out why because the answer of what really is happening seems way too obvious it's right that before he would your have eyes. never guessed. Yes. You want to hear it? Yeah, let's Are you talking about, to uh, that. Hopefully I'm playing the right clip here that you're talking about. Honest to my all or nothing line? Sometimes. There's a man. What, what man? Just a man. Works in a factory. One day the boss gets it in his mind that this man is stealing from him. So... Every night at the gate, the guard searches wheelbarrow. But they never find anything. Pat him down. Oh, they do that. Strip him naked. Nothing. So he's not stealing? Of course he is. Wheelbarrows. Thank you. That's right. He's stealing wheelbarrows. What? 
my point is, sometimes the answer is so obvious, you can't see it because you're looking too hard. See, we can't leave because we're the future. Not the past. The past can no more become the future than the future can become the past. Okay. We said our piece. Just don't be offended next time if I don't say hello before I shoot. Okay, I think that's a little bit of foreshadowing that there's still more to come between these two. Um, Lou has always had a thing with a bunch of people that basically says, hey guys, time out. I'm a badass. Good luck with me. Um, I'm not sure where you would fall on this, but we can talk about the stealing of the wheelbarrows and stuff, but I feel like this scene is a little bit of the, you were talking about things are black and white with Lou, right? Mm-hmm. He's He doesn't have a lot of middle ground. He's 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 got... Um, He's got like a little bit of this X-ray vision. And I think I think the telling of this tale and the fact that Ben Schmidt, dipshit Schmidt, uh, is that... Ben uh, Dipschmidt? <laughs> ben <laughs> Dipschmidt is that he's telling it, Ben's confused. Obviously, Kitchen 2 doesn't talk. He only answers the phone, which, by the way, he never says hello to ever. Um but I think this is just another scene where Mike feels the need to show his uh, knowledgeable prowess and that um, Lou is able to say, Dur, or derp, the answer is X. And he goes, oh, good. You were on the same page. Mm-hmm. I feel like these are two guys who are asking. They're handicapping each other. You know what I mean? It's bowling. Market, Market zero. Market zero. <laughs> there you go. You're with me. So I don't know if that's the case or not. That's where I feel this is. is. But that the, 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 these two are doing this type of discussion with each other. A because it sounds like as a story, it sounds fucking sure. awesome. Yep. And at the same time, the minute you're like, it's it's the scene in a weird way. Here's the crazy thing. I'm gonna make an Indiana Jones reference. This is Mike Milligan coming out. At the scene in the Indiana Jones with the sword, and he's like, "What?" And he's like swinging the sword and doing all this shit, and out of nowhere, Lou just pulls a gun and goes, "Boom! Mm-hmm. You're dead." I don't think that means he's dead yet, but I'm just saying Lou has said, "Hey, man, <laughs> I get it. You got some. You got some books." Enough smarts. with the dancing and the prancing. Yeah. So that's that. Now we now we're at the house, which, by the way, I talked about last week. Um. I don't think it's the Salverson house. I don't think it's yeah. We're at the house. I don't think it's any mystery to anybody that Betsy. I don't think Betsy needs anybody. Man, she can wield a shotgun. Front closet shotgun. For those of you who think, well, really, the answer to that is yes. I mean, even as in in the in terms of like, really, there's a front a gun in the front closet. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm doing my Fargo perspective thing because we definitely had shotguns in the front closet. We had shotguns. There's always like, there's like guns around, you know, like in the little corner behind a door. Yeah. That's like, that's like the gun spot. (laughs) And here's the deal though. I I would venture to say that, you know, in the, in the giant gun debate of America right now, I would venture to say you and I are both talking about very non assaulty guns. Not, I'm sorry. That that may (laughs) sound wrong. You can assault anybody with a gun, but I'm talking about, Shotguns with um, like the 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 little piece that goes in them, so that you can only load legally three rounds of ammunition, 
and all this stuff. But the point being that, I mean, even in high school before things got kind of crazy in America with Columbine, it was very not awkward for me. And I'm, I'm about 10 years, right? 10 years older than you, Sharpie. For it was not, not un, uncommon for, for me to leave Fargo. And I don't mean this in Fargo being podunk. I mean, we're a larger city. We're the largest city in the state with the, we're the most progressive, but it was not unusual for friends of mine in hunting season to go out before first period in high school and shoot birds like pheasant, grouse, stuff like that. Yeah, very, and very po- rarely deer because deer takes a lot more um, rigmarole. Like, rigmarole after you shoot it, you got to skin it, you got to yeah, you got to gut the whole thing. But but it was very, it was somewhat normal for at least three to four weeks any given year that there would be guys who pulling into the school parking lot with guns in the back they would be in the back they didn't weren't necessarily i would i will say that in in terms of fargo as uh against other smaller communities they didn't have gun racks in the back window like dad can i put a gun rack on my bike like like not like king of the hill you know damn it bobby Mm -hmm. but but not like that kind of thing but there were definitely there were guns in the car that that said that kind of shit would not be tolerated now in any way, shape, or form. But no. so finding a gun in the front closet of your house, totally totes norm. T- that is that is not a oddball thing mm-hmm. by any means. Not in the late seventies. There I said it. So what we're talking about is Betsy can fend for herself and what she what she what happens is she comes into her house, notices some boots on the floor, and we've got Sonny and the Breakfast King of Loyola. <laughs> Standing I'm in the so kitchen. glad you beat me to that because I just wanted to say, <laughs> oh, you're, you can say it. I just still want to say, you're a pro man, the Sausage King of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I love everything about her take charge attitude, and that here's what I love about Betsy's character on the show: she doesn't need shit. She doesn't need it. She doesn't need anybody. She may she she's she's very aware of the fact that she's going to die, but she's a big enough person. To let everybody do that, to let her husband dote upon her, her her father dote upon her, she just takes care of her kid. To let the the, the breakfast king of Loyola into her house and his sidekick to hang out there for days, sleeping on the couch and unfortunately the floor for Sunny, and and she's just like, it's cool. She's she's a true, she's actually to me the truest form of the Midwest on this show between season one and two period point blank what yep what like i'm talking about a heartfelt kick-ass midwest person i don't know i I thought molly was pretty good in season one yeah and who's the closest thing to molly in season two yeah i guess you're right okay well okay this is the genesis of that kind of thing like the deductiveness the understanding of people's feelings the the um being somewhat selfless and i'm not saying people that outside of the midwest aren't selfless i just mean that that here there is a very big thing about not making a big deal about when you do things that are nice like oh well you know it wasn't just me i had some help Mm -hmm. you know people like people are like that here i don't know if it comes from being a scandinavian german irish because here's the other thing we're a whole bunch of stuff here anyway I, I have digressed from the show, but I, I think she it's... She looks be- super hot wheeling that shotgun, by the way. <laughs> and now we're back to being assholes. <laughs> um, she's a sick cancer girl, and Sharpie wants to hug her a little longer than he should. 
Um, I want to see a Women of Fargo calendar. I want to see a just Carl Weathers entire calendar? Sh- show or calendar. <laughs> I don't care. Maybe I, that will be season three, the ahead. Carl I'm, Weathers I'm, uh, spinoff. I'm skipping ahead. I mean, to Saul Goodman. He and Betsy's, I shit you not, I almost tweeted, like live tweeted, like this show is going to make me tear up for the first time ever. When she in the, in the scene with Betsy and Carl, yeah, I mean, I'm Where sorry, that was about, it was well written, yeah, incredibly acted, and and shot in an incredible way that they start with this very very vast distance between them, between two different worlds and kitchens, and then the minute they take that other angle, did you notice how small the world felt for a minute? Like mm-hmm. it went from this really wide, like, look, oh, they're two rooms apart, but if you just change one angle, they're not as far as you'd think, and that they come together, and he holds her and hugs her in this way that, this comes back to her being a really great person, in my opinion, on the show, is that he needs it more than she does. He really does. Like, he hugs her first. It could have been so easy to have her hug him first and say, oh, thank you, Carl. Thank you for who we are. But the real, the real reality of the situation is that Carl looks up to her and what he and what, what he thinks of she and Lou is more than what he, what, you know. And, and here's the crazy part. Contrasting what he said the previous night about, I'm here to blah, you know, you, you, you <laughs> cops and shit. He's now saying, you are two of the best people I know. You, I would put you on the ark ahead of many other people, you and some other spouse or him and some other spouse. You actually make this couple happen. You're the best thing that happened to him. You're the best thing that's happening to me. Hug me. I love you. He did, it's he my did hey express dad. the, he did, he did have some expression in that first episode in our very first interaction with Carl Weathers about oh, her absolutely. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, it's not lost on me. I'm just saying. He's kind of back in my play that that Betsy's the best person on the show. Not this is me saying wow. again, not the best character, not the best actor. The core of the moral fiber of her character is the most pure and decadent and insightful I person. I think you're the one that has the crush. Oh god, I just want to hold her. I just want to make pancakes. Hey, and by the way, speaking of, I just thought of that. It's pancakes. You said we could go to Pancake's house. I say that every flipping episode, I feel yeah. like. And now it turns out he's the pancakes king of... <laughs> Gary's like, you said we could go to Pancake's house. And now, bam. Now they're making pancakes now, now in the, the breakfast, house. Yeah, now the breakfast king of Loyola is just rocking pancakes. Boom. Pancakes. I think it's just because they're easy to keep warm in the oven. That helps too. All right, let's take this moment to take a quick sponsor break. So, hey, here's the deal. Audible is a sponsor of Fargo Talks Fargo. Do you want to help us out? Yes, well, you do. If you do, you need to go to audibletrial.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo and sign up for a free 30-day trial. Here's the deal. And when you sign up for that, you get a free credit. And with that free credit, you can get a free book. So we've been talking about all the books you should do, but I think that if you grew up in the mid-80s, 90s, and you want a book that is incredibly hilarious, really fun, and you listen to any kind of rock and roll or metal music at all, you need to listen to Chuck Klosterman 
who's from Winemere, North Dakota, by the way. Pretty close. Yep. And he has a book called Fargo Rock City. And you might think, well, who the hell is this guy? Here's the deal. He's he's pretty fucking awesome. He used to write for the Forum of Fargo back in the day when I was when I was younger and uh the local newspaper. Yep, the local newspaper where John Lamb has been on from it and we should actually hey, that reminds me if we should reach out to John if we can get him back on before the show ends. Um either way, good fantastic book. I read it uh myself and and Chuck reads it himself on the uh on, on audible.com. So I that's my recommendation. You should go do that. Um Chuck writes for, has written for, and still continues. Like uh, his most recent thing is he just wrote a fantastic article article about um, for GQ about Tom Brady. Um, he made headlines here in Fargo because he was spotted out interviewing Taylor Swift. Um, he's a knockout guy. Uh, he 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 writes fantastic stuff. He's incredibly insightful. He's a music nerd. He has a Class B sports knowledge from North Dakota in the mid '80s, '90s that is unparalleled to anybody else. And I don't know how that makes the book any better, but I'm still amazed by it. But the book is fantastic. I think you should check it out. It's called Fargo Rock City by Chuck Klosterman. That's with a K, K-L-O-S-T-E-R-M-O. Anyway, you'll find it. And he also has a couple other books that are awesome. And by couple, I mean like six or seven. (laughs) We'll get to those because I like them all. Nice wreck. Thanks. Chuck's a great guy. Local guy big success where do we want to go sharpie we're we're like we're barely we're barely where we need to be we've got to go into the scene with bear (laughs) and simone sure right because i think this was um despite there being a lot of awesome action in this episode a lot of uh really interesting um developments i think this scene was really the theme of this scene was the theme of the show. Now we know the show is titled. What's it titled? Did you do this? No, you did it. <laughs> and we have some what? Some theories as to what this might mean. And I think I think we're on the same page in thinking that this refers to this scene between Bear and Simone. Sure, tell so it. So the scene. So what we what we see is Bear taking Simone out to the woods. So Bear and Ricky G show up to the uh, the hotel, was it? And they pick up Simone. They basically force Simone into Bear's vehicle. Ricky G takes Simone's car. Bear and Simone go to the woods. Now, clearly there's some tension going on because Bear awkwardly buckles Simone's seatbelt and they go for a little bit of a drive and they wind up in the woods. And I think Simone's probably thinking she's in some deep shit. She's in the swamp right now. And they go out into the woods, and I, we mentioned this in the hot dish, but this scene parallels Miller's Crossing to a T. I mean, literally, it is it is the scene in Miller's Crossing where they go, they take the guy out to the woods, uh, the main guy, and he's begging for his life. And that's exactly what's going on. Miller's Crossing is another Coen Brothers movie. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Uh, pretty fun watch. One of, their, one of their earliest films. It's actually a film they were producing, and then they got writer's block and stopped filming for a bit and produced Barton Fink in the middle of the making of that movie, uh, which is a movie about a guy who gets writer's block. So kind of interesting. And then they go back and they finish Miller's Crossing. But in Miller's Crossing, it was a very similar scene where they take this guy out to the woods to basically kill him because he's causing trouble. Now, that's exactly what's going on here. 
And what's interesting about that scene is that in, well, I don't even, I mean, should I give a Miller's Crossing spoiler? Probably not. I don't know. Ah, screw it. The movie's Fuck like it. 10 years old. It's too old. 20 years old. I was going to say, I remember watching this. 25 years I remember old. watching part of this movie when I was in high school. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's so long and boring because I was too stupid I to know it was cool. I, uh, I feel like I just told you to watch it and then I'm going to give a spoiler, but whatever. If you don't want the spoiler. Oh, here's can... the deal. Spoiler that will only last one to two minutes in three, two, one. Say what you got to say, Sharpie. So they take him out to the woods, and the guy's basically begging for his his life. And the man who's who's supposed to kill him... Wait, Bruce Willis is dead the whole time? Oh. Fuck! Quick, get out as many spoilers as you can. Okay. All right. Um, he, he really struggles with the fact that he has to kill this person, but he has to because it's for, you know... I mean, he's, he's basically... Is this Gabriel Burns' to. character? No. Who's, whose character is that? In the woods? Sorry. Ah, go ahead. Fuck me. Who cares? <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't kill him. He basically fires the gun off to the side so that there's the sound of the gunshot and the henchmen that are back. <laughs> yep. Just like that. That's exactly what like... a, a gun sounds like in, yep. in the nineteen thirties. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> yeah, kid, you see? Yeah. And and he basically tells these these would be victim to hey. You need to get the hell out of here and never show your face. He doesn't again. say vominos. He probably says, "Hey, vominos, kid, see? Yeah, never show hey, your face you again, here, see? You got to make yourself scarce. Yeah, don't be in these woods no more. You hear? Don't want to be seeing the likes of you ever again. God, we're dicks. We're ruining this movie. No, yeah. you got to. This watch is it. the longest description ever. So, <laughs> it's only been like six minutes. Oh, the, hey, welcome back. Sharpie's not ruining this anymore. You're safe. The thing is, Bear. We've grown to like Bear. Bear. The audience is on Bear's side. And he just seems to be like is a strong word. I mean, it's not that strong of a word. I mean, we know he we like him better than Dodd. He's the most likable shit character in a <laughs> immoral world that they're living in. We've Fair grown, we've grown to like Lou and Hank. Do you really like Bear? You're like, oh, you're I not. Think you're so not, because he I wants like to, he wants his kid to be out of the business. He's the one that has been sticking around taking care of Charlie. I mean, we don't know what happened to his wife. Maybe she's dead and gone. Anyway, he's the most he's the most heartfelt likable character of a character who's got major flaws. That's what I was trying to get Agreed. at. Sorry. Yeah. You think he's 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 got the most hope for um redemption or a redeeming quality, right? Correct. Yeah. We I mean, we've said before that we think he'll probably be the one to survive or he might he might get out of this unscathed because start a trucking company. And I think that still might be true because because of that scene in Miller's Crossing, because the guy did not kill the other dude and we do not see Simone die. If we do not see we know better, if we don't see somebody die, they ain't dead. <laughs> and although we did not see Otto right. die. <laughs> And he's in the ground, so <laughs> just proved that theory wrong. Uh, but we did talk about though that, um, or I brought up to you that she's wearing all white in this episode, which yes. I think either signifies she's being washed clean. She could be starting anew, right? Washed could clean. Be. She's she's baptized in the this ever her, for, this, ever forgiving grace of Bear Gerhardt. This is the Bear baptism. Or she has been baptized with a bullet to the head into heaven. We don't we know don't yet. We don't know. Yeah. 
I have I just cannot believe that he went through with it. But I think the best part of this no. whole okay what, here, no what oh. I mean what I mean is I think I want to I want to interject this. What I think you mean is you don't want you agree with me you don't want to believe he went through with it because we both kind of like Bear. That's what you meant. You don't think you just said you don't think he went through it, but deep down, what you're saying is, I don't want to believe he did it. Yeah, I guess you're. I guess I can't say that you're wrong, but I just I mainly don't believe he did it because I didn't see it. So I thought the best part about this was him coming back out of the woods. Okay, he got some great split screen action, but when Very much. he is busting that cast. So we, he's had this cast forever, and we don't know how, how we got it. We can assume he was just doing some dirty work, and he broke his arm. But he comes back, and he is so visibly disturbed that this is kind of what makes it a little hard to tell if he actually did it. I mean, would he be that upset if he let her go? Um, what's interesting about the cast is he's basically busting it off on the truck, and it's like ripping off, and he frees himself of this cast. And so is that sort of a, a parallel to Simone's relationship with the Gerhards? Is is was Simone a hindrance on the Gerhards? And this is he he's in a sense shedding Simone just like he's shedding this cast. Oh God, or, I hate that you just said that the minute you said that. You've never said that to me before until now. Now I'm worried she's dead. Well, it could go either way. If he told her to run. He basically, he, he did shed her from the family. He got rid of that nuisance. He got rid of that thing that's bringing them down. And he's, and just like the cast, he's breaking it off and he's ripping it off. But his arm's still probably broken. <laughs> so it could come back to hurt him at some point. That's if she's alive. If she's dead, he's breaking off that cast, you know, and shedding it as like, a, as like another piece of symbolism that this 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 thing's actually gone the cast is white she's wearing white but we do have a a, a, aside from the split screen action of him beating the cast we start to see him sort of reflecting on the people in his life we see images of rye we see images of Otto or of dodd we see images of everybody of simone i think i tried to make more of that than should have um after that split screen happens, on the left-hand side of the screen, it's very interesting. At around 35 minutes, if you've bought the show, um, you will notice that the split screens are very... They go from being time-shifted to being like very close to each other within a second or so of what the actual scene's happening when he's banging his cast on the car. And after that, on the left-hand side of the screen, I, I felt like a little bit of they were showing us characters that were sort of maybe alive floyd um dodd because we know dodd's well you've watched the show so you're listening dodd's not dead and then charlie in jail and then strangely though we don't know if hansi is or isn't alive but on the right hand side we see hansi in the split screen with dodd and the or, or bear on the left and then we see a flash of um rye and then simone so I was doing a little bit of overguesstimating about dead people versus people alive. Say what you will. It is what it is. It's not a major statement. It's just it is what it is. It's overthinking. There's what it is. There, I said it. And speaking of overthinking, let's get into the show title. Did you do this? No, you did it. 
what we think this is a reference to, mm -hmm. uh, and more than likely, is a painting by Picasso. Guernica. Well, the, the title is... Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a comment. What, Dear Wikipedia. Dear Wikipedia, thank you. Dear Ndugu. <laughs> so, Picasso had this painting called Guernica, which was a painting of war. It was a painting about the bombing of a town. Uh, and there's all these animals and in people Spain. In suffering. Spain. In Spain. Yeah. And basically just it's a it's a mural sized painting it's like 25 feet across or something um but it's a painting about war and it's about suffering and just mass destruction and what is interesting about it is it was hanging up in the museum of modern art uh somewhere and while this was uh during some nazi occupation so this was back in like 1937 or something like that or or maybe a little bit after that i think the painting was maybe from 1937 um but it was hanging up and allegedly a nazi officer approached approached picasso and looked at a picture of this mural and said wow did you do that and because it's a picture depicting war and destruction picasso said no you did it. And so what we're thinking... Yeah, that was in... It, it, just to correct ourselves, it was it was in Paris that the conversation happened. Okay. Or, uh, supposedly happened. Allegedly. Keep going. Keep, keep going. So Sorry. what we're thinking, we're trying to figure out how to tie that into this episode, and we think that th it is reflected... This, this um, story is reflecting the scene with Simone and bear i mean i'm thinking that the the way we can tie this into the show is that it's the conversation between simone and bear as simone is pretty much begging for her life and saying you know yeah, i'm yeah. i'm this is not my fault i'm the product of i'm the victim your it's, destruction it's, yeah i'm a victim here yeah you can't blame me. Like I, I may have produced some of these things that are happening around us, but you guys are dropping the bombs. Right, I'm just, right. I'm the victim here. You have to look at you it from did my it. side. You did it. Did you do this? No, you did this. Yeah. So in in Bear's she mind, was born into this. In Bear's mind, he's out here taking care of business, right? Yeah. Like you, you're you're making trouble. I'm really sorry, but here's the deal: you're making trouble, and she's like, I'm not making trouble. I'm the victim here. You did it. At least this is what you and I talked about, and you and I both think. And um, I could be wrong, but I mean, I, still, I think it translates th well. I still think that's the beauty of this: is that we we have the right to be completely wrong, and the right to be completely right. Um, and it opens it up for discussion because people will yes, pour in yes, and be like, yes. "We think it's this," and that's like, yeah. I mean, this so, is one of those shows you can do that. And l luckily, we're living in an age where more of these shows are coming about. But this is what I love about the new era of television. Right, right. We're starting to make pieces that are conversational. I don't even know where we go from here. I feel like we gotta. We well, let's, I think let's start. Well, let's start working towards an end. Yeah. Let's well, start. The the really the. I mean this this shit that we're talking about is only happening like. Oh man, there's so midway much more. through the <laughs> show. I mean. Um, well, let's talk about let that. We didn't talk about the Undertaker. Yeah, boom! You're fucking dead. I don't think we need to talk about that. I no, think, boom! You're dead. Uh, and then when I say I don't think we need to talk about that, I think Mike Milligan's making a huge play. He's I making just think, a play. I just think that Sharpie and I are going to have an opportunity to talk about that 
in a, in the, actually in the next episode. Yeah. I don't think he's, I don't think he's taking this lightly, right? Let's do this real fast. I don't think he's taking it lightly, right? Nope. You with me? Right. Um, I think he is, he's aware that he was about to get possibly off and he's making a play to make amends for his transgressions. But he's also, he's also, he's showing the authority that he's, I mean, he's not, he's not making friends with the people that are above him. He's, he's kind of committing to, I'm 80% there out. with you. He's out. I'm 80% After there that you. move. I still think that at some point he's going to maybe try to be we've, in their good graces of. We've talked about maybe he was trying to make a name for himself to upper management. Yep. 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 He's this, this comes full circle to the thing of managing up. Yeah. And he's trying to prove his worth. But what I'm trying to say is that, yeah, yeah, a little bit of the same. He's he's trying to prove his worth of managing up, and in the end, he's going to get gunned down. The same with the people in the opening of the episode did. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. There's two other things we should talk about. Okay, tell me one. Real quickly. Um, we need to talk about Ed Blumquist a bit, because who barely in the episode at all, last minute and a half. Yeah, and looking as confident as ever. Maybe you can clear some things up for me. Okay, ask me. Okay, so... I really like it when you're in front of me. This is fun. <laughs> so we have... So Ricky G's on the porch. Ricky G! Which we haven't really talked about, but we talked about him enough in the hot dish. Okay. Ricky G's on the front porch, and he's... He's got Hansi he, no, he on tells, the phone earlier, and now he's but got... But was it Hansi on the phone? Earlier, he talked about your, your guys on the phone, but eventually, that one scene, he comes and says, there's a guy on the phone, and he's got... It's two situations. There's two things. One at one point yes. they said Hansi knows where Dot is. Yes. And then as Hansi always knows where Dot is. And what I'm talking about is on the porch scene when Ricky G goes, a guy's on the phone. He says he knows where Dot is. Oh, oh, the scene where he goes, that's cold. And he right, and is that he what gets you're choked about? out by a bear. Oh yeah. So was that Ed Blumquist? Because I don't think that was. Hansi's call. I think that was Ed Blumquist's call, No, I call, think that's, right? Ed, that's Ed's call. I agree. So Ed's calling both parties. Ed is Ed is playing both sides of the fence. He's like, I've got somebody both people want. This is super interesting to me about this episode, and this is why this is one of my favorite episodes of the season, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit going on. But, I mean, we have the whole Baron Simone thing, but now we have this, and... Ed is making calls into both sides. He's like, I got something you want. I got something you want. How are we going to work this out? So, and when he leaves that phone booth at the end of the, at the, end of the show, he right. is looking like the most confident Ed we've ever seen t- to this day. I think he feels like he's got something good going on. He might be a doofus still, but he definitely has the look where like, now I'm in charge. I got something each of these sides want. I have some questions. I don't think they'll get an answer, but I'm going to ask him. How the hell did he get their phone number? How did he, you know, yeah, there's just like, and when did he figure out who Mike Milligan is? He knows that there's shit going down, and I bet word got out. So, yeah, you, you're saying that Ed has phoned around and figured out that there's he's a just, criminal. He's just there's a, there's an the element together. There's an element in town he's asked for about outsiders, and um, he's maybe maybe pieced it together through people he, he has contacts with to get what he needs done. Yeah, I mean, in terms oh, of the, Ger- in oh, terms wait, of the wait, Gerhards, wait. they're probably did- listed in the damn phone book. Or has he heard names through his time spent in uh, the clink uh, being interviewed? 
when he made his daring escape. Mm. He might have got some informa- info from Lou. Yeah, we don't know. Here's what it we do. Weird. Here's what we do know. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Here's the other thing we haven't talked about. We know from the episode that Hansi dropped two bodies, two cops in two Sioux cops. Falls. Yeah. Because guess who needs to go to Life Spring to actualize her own self well being? And Ed and so that means Ed and Peg are not together. Also, did you notice well, they're not together at the end of the show, but he's there in a different car with Peggy not in it and claims that Bear's in the Bear, sorry, Dot is in the trunk. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's going to be a lot of shit happening. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, so let's move on to real quickly since we got to wrap this up. Hank. Hank's house. The house of Hank. What a weird bastard. Oh, hey, Hank. How's your aluminum foil hat? <laughs> He's either researching, inventing a hieroglyphic or glyph based language of himself for mother daughter son family pregnant conflict feel free to pause the download at any time you want and you're going to find all sorts of shit that said where is snowflake what bill's trying to say if you're trying to get through the archaic language he was just speaking is that <laughs> is that uh, so at some point towards the end of the episode, Betsy goes to feed the cat, Snowflake, yes. which is her dad's cat. Um, her father, Hank Larson, lives alone because we learned that his wife passed away some 12 years ago or something. And she goes over to feed the cat, which we never see, so we don't really know if there's even a cat. Um, but she discovers Hank's study, which is full of some sort of glyph based language now we have no idea is this is this this see is this this episode's like ufo reference i don't know because it's just it's, as weird it's, it's as close to crop circles as we can get exactly and it there's the scene that i'm paused on right now at fifty-one fourteen is like i'm looking at the fireplace and it's like family with two children have a thing their parents there's time that happens somebody gets sick somebody it's dies somebody up. is pregnant and somebody dies I have no idea what that means. I don't even Let's know. Let's put the power to the people. Uh, listeners, go yeah, and translate that. <laughs> go look back at this stuff. Um, and we know at the end that, 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 that Bear and we know Floyd finds out that Dodd's still, somebody's trying to get in touch with them. And we find out the, the Undertaker scene is awesome. I think it's fantastic. I love the scene. I love the fact that they're like out of breath from doing it. Cause yeah, that's some, I thought that was awesome. That's some badass shit you don't just like in some films you just like they're like boom boom and you're like yeah i killed the guy but they're like oh shit man we just did it we just did the that's that's i'm glad you mentioned that because that was one of my favorite that was one of my favorite things of that scene i think that's why he's i think that's honestly why he doesn't answer the phone right away because he's a collecting himself yeah he's collecting himself and trying to figure out what he's gonna say b trying to decide if it's um kansas city or somebody else that's exactly what I was thinking. And and so uh, I, I appreciate that. But as a Fargo guy, wherever the fuck Ed is right now, that is not the Midwest. He's easily got to be in northern Minnesota, Bemidji, Brainerd area, because we do not have this many. I'm giving the Fargo Well, he's theory. in Calgary. 
Canada. <laughs> <laughs> we know that. I'm just trying to give the I'm just trying to give the scenario that that if somebody came to Fargo, they would not see this much um, diversity in coniferous trees. <laughs> wow, you paid attention <laughs> at North. Hey, Fargo North High School on 19th Avenue in Fargo. Nice work with Matt Charpentier. Ooh. Oh, you said my whole name. Said your whole name <laughs> now. But uh, it is what it is. So I, I think, I think that's where we have to kind of leave it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we solved anything, which is what I say which after is what, every episode. I don't think we, we ever we, intend to solve anything. <laughs> no, I just, I'm, I'm really excited that you, you're here in person. Uh, I wish you could stay into next week. Um, we're still working on a couple other uh, possible side episodes that I really, really do hope come to fruition. Anyway, I, I'm really excited. I think it's going to be great. I think they've been dealing us an excellent hand this year and um, hat tip to them for having a third season. And I can't wait. Sharpie, will you commit to running another crazy season of this show with me? I guess we got to do it. I mean, we're in now. Well, it is Wednesday at 11.23 p.m. Central Standard Time. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Tomorrow's Thanksgiving. Are you cooking? And, uh, that's a whole other topic. All right. Um, But anyway, we can't wait to see what happens next week. Uh, Matt and I are going to still drink beer. <laughs> I still have to do some things, but thank you so much for listening, you guys. Have a wonderful holiday, uh, and we can't wait to uh, tell you some more about our crazy thoughts next week. Matthew? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're using every form of my name. Uh, I know. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, If you want, uh, follow us on Twitter at Fargo Talks Fargo, or check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fargo Talks Fargo, or you can follow us on Twitter individually. We got Bill Lempe at Lempe, that's at L-E-M-P-E, mm-hmm. or myself, that's at Sharpie, that's at C-H-A-R-P-I-E. And you can also go to FargoTalksFargo.com oh, yeah, to the website. find any of those things, mm-hmm. which is where I'm assuming people have learned or figured out how to email us. And like I said, send uh, us your theories, send us your thoughts. We'll probably talk about them. Save the dick pics. We don't need those. Yeah. Stop with those, please. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot it's of really them. just a, yeah. all mine. But for real, <laughs> uh, we, we really do appreciate the feedback we've been getting. It's actually what we go for. We love in, uh, hearing, hearing engagement from you guys and taking your theories and, and thoughts. And uh, I'm hoping that when we do hear something, we always give you credit for that. So, Sharpie, thanks so much for being here in town. It's been fantastic. And uh, for you guys for listening, Sharpie, anything to say? I think that's all I got. Happy holidays. Peace out, folks.